Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Subnet Show. I am your host, Gabriel Cardona, and I am coming to you live from San Francisco today, although I have beautiful Tokyo in the background. Um, I am joined, as always, by my amazing co-host, the man with the most cats in crypto, Connor Daly. What is up, my friend? Not much. Happy to be here. We, we, you and I, we've been struggling the last few weeks. We've been kind of missing each other. We, we were able to meet up with for the Truflation podcast, but I was looking at our recent role and you and I have both been just kind of out uh, one or the other for the last like month and a half or two months. So yeah, we've been doing ping to, pong. We've been doing the ping pong game. Yeah. yeah thanks for a chance to catch up. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for covering for me last week. So as he mentioned, I wasn't feeling too hot last week. Um, long story short, I had a tooth infection. I ended up having to have an emergency root canal, which as you guys know, is awesome in every way. And so I ended up basically having to take some time off. I even had to cancel my in-person uh, flight to consensus and had to end up giving my presentation remotely. So um, the moral of the story, ladies and gentlemen, is to take care of your teeth. They certainly do a lot for you and they've got to last you a long time. And until we have a breakthrough in you know, gene therapy where we can regrow our teeth or something crazy like that, you got what you got. So <laughs> take care of them. Um, so yeah, I, there, we were supposed to have a guest today and at the very last moment they were unable to make it. So we decided instead we were kind of just going to connect. Like uh, he said, it's good to just connect with Connor after not talking to him in a couple of weeks. And then there were just a few different news items that we figured we would just maybe toss out the headline and then brainstorm on a little bit. I know that we have a hard stop um, in about half an hour. So <clears throat> this is going to be a somewhat shorter episode than, than usual. But as you know, as I said before, the show must go on, and we always want to do everything we can to push out fresh content every week. There's always something to talk about, of course. And like I said, it's nice to just connect with uh, Connor. So um, I think the biggest things that have happened to me since I last saw you are obviously uh, the tooth thing and not being able to go consensus, although I did still give my presentation at consensus. So uh, my presentation was an hour. And if anybody gives presentations out there, they know that an hour is a really long time. Um, these days, uh, it's hard to keep people's attention focused for that long, and it's just a lot of content to fill. Now, granted, I can talk about Avalanche forever, and I know Connor can too, but still, just keeping people excited and focused for an hour is, you know, somewhat of a task. So um, I gave a high-level uh, overview of Avalanche, not too dissimilar to other presentations I've given in the past. I've got a really good um, slide deck and a presentation I've been giving now. Uh, that talks about our four, you know, high level selling points, avalanche consensus, and then the fact that we're a network of networks, and then subnets and virtual machines, which are sort of our four special sauces that we call <clears throat> blockchain 3.0. And so I gave a an updated version of that presentation, but it went really well. I had multiple people reach out and was like, wow, um, that was a masterclass in avalanche. Somebody nicely said to me, which I thought was cool. And then I gave a, um, I was a graph, it would be graph hackathon. I think two Sundays ago, it's everything's moving so fast, but um, Jitten, I believe that's how you pronounce it. I could be wrong. One of our um, engineering project managers, who's absolutely awesome. He's also in the Bay Area. That was the first time I met him, but he said he learned some stuff from my presentation, which always feels good if somebody who actually works on this stuff in and out can learn something from your presentation. So that's pretty rad. So um, I wanted to kind of just talk about some stuff that had happened at the graph day. Not all of it is 100% Avalanche super specific because of course the graph works on uh, multiple networks other than just Avalanche, but I thought it was kind of cool and ultimately it will be beneficial to Avalanche. 
So there were a couple of things I wanted to talk about. The first, I wanted to tell kind of a funny story. Um, <laughs> so I live in the East Bay. Technically, I don't live in San Francisco. I live in the East Bay, but I, you know, it's when I tell people I live in the East Bay, they don't know what I'm talking about. So I just say San Francisco or the Bay Area. And so um, I took an Uber in and out of the city each day to the Graph Hackathon. And the final Sunday, so I was there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I went each day, obviously, and then I was a judge on Sunday. And so the last day, um, no, it was, it was Saturday. I'm getting my thoughts straight here. Yes, Saturday was when I gave my presentation. Sunday was when the judging was. So on Saturday, I left my house two and a half hours before my presentation started. In my mind, I was like, two and a half hours is surely enough time to get downtown, especially if I'm driving in an Uber, if I'm riding in an Uber. Well, of course, as you might imagine, it wasn't enough time. And so as I was sitting in the back of the Uber looking at my phone and it was giving me the Uber's ETA, it was slowly going from, you know, I was going on at 4 p.m. And so it was like ETA 335, ETA 442, ETA 354. So finally, I'm like, oh, my God, I think I'm going to be late. And so I, you know, fired up my computer, connected it to my phone tried to send like a panic email to you know the guy who was doing the stage hand stuff i promise i'm on my way man I, it looks like i'm going to be maybe five or ten minutes late but i am in an uber i am on my way I, I apologize of course i'm not trying to throw a wrench into the whole game plan um i suspected it might be okay because i was only going to be five or ten minutes late and we all know that usually things are five or ten minutes behind schedule when it comes to you know presentations and people talking because people are long-winded like myself, or they don't stay on the time, either they don't respect their time slot. So I wasn't super panicky, but at the same time, I like to be super professional, especially if I'm representing all the labs in any way, you know, I want to be on the up and up. And so even being 10 minutes late or something is like, nah, I'd, I'd rather be 10 minutes early, obviously. So um, like I said, we're pulling in downtown and it looks like I'm going to arrive at like 357 or something. So I was going to be right, right, right before so we pull up, it's like 354. We pull up right outside of the Palace of Fine Arts, which is a beautiful, beautiful building and area um, in San Francisco. If anybody's ever been there, it's absolutely beautiful. One of the most beautiful places in the city. In fact, years ago, I saw two, I, I don't remember the years. I think it was uh, 2010 to 2012. It might've been 09 and 11. I know there was a year between them where I saw Ray Kurzweil Anybody who's heard me talks knows I'm a super Ray Kurzweil fanboy. He's the author of The Singularity is Near and a bunch of other, you know, big singularitarian, big thinkers in the singularity space uh, at the Singularity Summit at the Palace of Fine Arts. So I've been there a couple of times and heard some really, really cool presentations. Ben Gertzel, if you guys remember, he was a guest we had on the Subnet show, the big uh, AI scientist. He was there. I saw him talk both years. That was the first time I saw him talk. So anyway, we pull up out front of the um, Palace of Fine Arts. It's like 357. I'm like, okay, no stress. Get in there and do your thing. So I get out of the Uber. And if anybody's familiar with that area, in the front, there's a couple of big trees. And there's like some grass and some dirt. It's not all concrete. It's, it's like a little yard. And I don't know exactly what happened. I wasn't, you know, over-exaggerated running or anything, but I took off on a little trot to kind of, you know, get in there and let them know I was there. And I took about two steps, three steps forward, and I tripped somehow. And I did a straight up, like I'm sliding in the home base on my belly, arms in the air, feet off the ground, all of my weight on my belly, slid for like four or five feet in the dirt even. And I was wearing a, <laughs> my black shirt with the white Nike swoosh and khaki pants. 
And while I was down, I tried to catch myself and I took my phone and slammed it into the ground, right? So I'm laying on the ground. There's probably like 25 or 30 people standing in line all outside smoking cigarettes, getting ready to go back in. Um, some of them were snickering. Some of them were like, oh my God, are you okay? And while I'm on the ground, I look over at my phone and my phone is just completely shattered, like champion status. And I'm like, no way. And I could tell I cut my hand. It's healed up today, but I felt a little burn sensation on my hand. So I was like, real quick in my mind, this is what I thought. I was like, all right, man, you're cool. Just keep it cool. You know, you got Apple Care on your phone. So even if you have, there must be an Apple store nearby. Even if you have to buy a new phone, you'll get a new phone by the end of the day. So don't panic on that. Um, get up, dust yourself off, metaphor for life and failure, right? Get up, dust yourself off, go in there, give your presentation. It's all good. So believe it or not, I was able to keep my sense of calm and my centeredness. I actually was. So I got up, I dusted myself off. The security guard at the front gate was straight up laughing at me. I was like, I know, dude. Um, I tried the best to get the dirt off of the white parts. I went in and of course I was correct. There was still a lady giving her presentation on stage. So I technically was not late. She went till like 4.07 or something. So I had maybe 10 minutes. I go up there, I get mic'd up, the whole deal. I went on stage, I gave my presentation. Um, the clicker was in my right hand and I was super paranoid that people could see like a little bit of blood on my hand. Uh, later, I was watching other people give presentations and I don't think they would have been able to. So I think I was just self-conscious, but I was able to give my presentation. It actually went really well. Like I said, afterwards, Jitten from our team said he learned something. So after coming off stage, if anybody gives presentations, they know, you know, you're usually rushed by a few people who want to connect with you. So I, you know, made sure to stay cordial and uh, communicate with every single person who came up to me. And then lastly, I, I was hanging out with Jitten and another dude from our team. And I was like, guys, I got to go to the Apple store. I totally broke my phone just now. So there was an Apple store about 0.6 miles away. And so I walked over there just to kind of, you know, cool off and get my mind in a better state and I get to the Apple store and I told him what's up and of course he's like oh yeah you got Apple Care it's, it looks like you got Apple Care yeah we can replace your screen it'll take like two hours and I was like okay sweet and he's like before we do that do you have the glass um, if you guys know there's like a glass it's kind of like a plastic covering that goes on your phone you can get or not I do get it because I've broken phones in the past and I was like I do have that and he's like oh, okay well before we can replace the screen I got to peel that off and so he goes, and he peeled it off and my phone was completely perfect. Not a single scratch anywhere, <laughs> not around the rim of it because of the phone case and nothing on the screen. I'm talking absolutely perfect. I couldn't believe it. So instead of buying a new phone or even getting the screen replaced, I just replaced that glass thing for 40 bucks. So the moral of the story there uh, is get that glass thing for your phone. It can save your life. It absolutely uh, saved mine. <laughs> That, so, that is quite the story. I've I've done the I've done the same thing before, not with my phone, but with my watch. I uh I have a reasonably expensive like running watch because I I used to like run some marathons and stuff. And yeah, man, falls are hard, especially especially running falls. Those are those are the worst for me. I've had uh never any that are like so bad, but yeah, I had one a couple of years ago where I tripped on some uneven um concrete and then yeah, I like cracked my watch face. And then I like left knee hit, then left elbow, then left wrist. And I was like scraped up on all of those contact points. And I was like, yeah, I felt so sad. Cause yeah, I like cracked up my watch screen and then I got home 
and then I peeled off the screen protector and it was fine underneath. And I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Mine even felt like glass. You know what I mean? Like I was yeah, positive yeah. it broke. So whatever that glass material it's is. The tempered glass protectors. Yeah, you got to go for the tempered glass. Yeah, drop like uh, 40, 40 bucks seems like a lot. It's worth it. <laughs> like my sister was like, you pay 40 bucks for a screen protector. I was like, better than paying another thousand bucks for a new phone. Um, yeah. So yeah, that was pretty cool. The The main thing that gets hurt is your ego, right? Like if I flip this switch and I see somebody fall in front of me, I don't like, I ain't making fun of them. I'm checking if they're okay, right? So really it's your own ego saying, wow, I just bit the dust in front of 25 people. And now I got to go on stage in front of them and act like I'm all cool and <laughs> know what's up. So no, I don't know, like may, maybe it would have been cooler if you gave your presentation, just like your face, like bleeding <laughs> the whole time, you know, just true. like, man, these avalanche people go hard. <laughs> I could have got some sympathy <laughs> points. So the graph hackathon was really sweet. The whole the whole weekend was sweet. Like I said, there's a couple uh, announcements that they made. I wanted to just briefly touch on that um, will ultimately apply to Avalanche because graph works on Avalanche, but presumably this works in all the ecosystems. So um, one of them is that they introduced something called substreams, and they're pitching it as massively faster indexing performance for subgraphs. And basically, it's like a data pipeline. What it reminded me of. Um, with the particular skills I have is the data pipeline that exists in MongoDB. If anybody out there has used MongoDB, there's this really tricked out data pipeline where you can ultimately massage and change data and then get you know this custom output. And so the, there were four different selling points. There's extract via firehose, transform via substreams and subgraphs, load to the Postgres database, and then query, serving queries to users. So extract, transform, load, and query. And um, I met Chloe, who was from our platform team there. That was the first time I met her. And then I met Jitten, like I said, the first time I met him. And we hung out all weekend, um, really got along. And he was he seemed actually very, very excited about this. He said, we do something internally sort of similar. We have this, <clears throat> our own like custom data pipeline where we massage some data. So he was saying, you know, right out of the gate, this solves a problem that we're already trying to do internally. But of course, it has the benefit of being something that's standard across the community where ultimately there's going to be workflows and tutorials and development tooling and stuff that all grows around this. So um, from what I understand and the people who know more than myself about subgraphs um, or yeah, about the graph, this substream seems like it's pretty exciting. Have you heard anything about that? Do you have any thoughts on that? I have not. I have not. But yeah, I know that's... Um... I think a lot of people who don't do dev work don't necessarily understand some of the challenges with reading data from, from the chain and doing indexing essentially. And that's been, you know, it's an incredibly tough challenge just because Geth or, you know, the standard clients that most of these chains use is very inefficiently designed for data storage. It's not designed for data retrieval. It's designed for coming to consensus decisions and storing blocks for longevity. It's not designed to quickly and efficiently determine what the state of the network was at this point in time for this particular smart contract value. And so if I wanna know, you know what somebody's balance was historically, that is not necessarily something that's sustainable to do or, or fast to query. So you end up having to build these indexers and extraction layers that can take that data and Put it in a more readable format but oftentimes like the raw data is not what you need you need a transformed version of that data and this is something that uh, the graph actually does pretty well is that 
you know, you want to basically when you when you want to put data on chain, you want to put the least amount of data possible because you have to pay to store it. And so oftentimes you might want a derived quantity. So for example, you might want to know um, who made the most money or something like that. You, you might want to do that, that kind of query, like who has the highest USDC balance? You know, that's not how it's stored. So you need your indexer. The indexer just stores, you know, a balance for each person. So you also need to do a transformation to do a sort on that and to like know that you, you have different, um, in, in database terms, indexes on that data to be able to, to query it and sort it uh, different ways. So yeah, it's cool that they're expanding their functionality because I think there's not a lot of tools to do that. The graph has been one of the most flexible and they've been able to uh, put out a lot of stuff in their roadmap in the last, last couple of years. So yeah, it's exciting to see that they're continuing to build. Yeah, super vibrant community. The, the auditorium was packed. I'm bad at guesstimating group sizes. So if anybody knows how many people fit in the um, auditorium there at the Palace of Fine Arts, maybe a thousand, give or take, but it was totally packed. I mean, like every seat was packed, super, super vibrant, lots of um, teams. Who is their primary competitor? Is it Covalent? Who exactly is in this space? Uh, it, it depends what you mean. So like, as far as like decentralized indexers, like they're trying, they're probably the most advanced, um, but there, there's more... They're probably the most general purpose indexer. I've seen a couple other pitch decks for competitors. I don't remember any of the names off the top of my head. Uh, there are other indexers who do different things. Uh, Covalent is one. Uh, Covalent is not as interested in customizing queries per smart contract, I think. They're much more like um, general uh, indexes around like token balances, NFT ownership, uh, and then some like well-known indexes for, for well-known contracts, like for like AMMs, for like Trader Joe and stuff like that, trying to capture that market. Um, there's also, I, I did a panel at Avalanche Summit with a lady who is the CEO of a indexer whose uh, name escapes me, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, it was something like, ah, oh, damn, I can't remember. So really no sorry. worries. Yeah, no worries. There's so many, <laughs> so many projects. I'm sure they understand. Yeah. There's a lot. Yes. Yeah, so, um, and then there was a couple more, and then I wanted to talk about our bounties. So there was Masari. If you guys know Two Bit Idiot on Twitter, is its Twitter handle. Um, Masari got 12.5 million grant. They're going to become the first core subgraph developer, and then Gitcoin, <clears throat> who's really awesome. If you guys know, I think it's a wiki. Is that what his Twitter handle is? Um, Gitcoin announced a new uh, round of graphs a new round of grants for subgraphs. And what's really interesting is years ago, around the time it would have been when, uh, before Ethereum went live. So this is probably 2014. I was on Kauai. This is one of the times I've spent five years total on Kauai, sort of in one or two year chunks. <clears throat> and this was um, one of those times I was there. And I actually <laughs> had the same idea, which ultimately became Bitbox. I've mentioned in the previous episode how I had a startup called Bitbox that ended up at Bitcoin.com, which was, you know, Bitcoin Cash developer tooling. I had that idea for years for Bitcoin, um, similar to what I'm even doing now, right? Cloud services and SDK and some documentation. And I had a little one person startup. I've done many, the startup of one, I call it. Um, I had a startup called Gitcoin. 
years ago, 2014 era, before even Ethereum was a thing. Um, obviously, it wasn't crazy successful. It was it's too early. I wasn't mature enough as an engineer. It wasn't the right idea at the right time. But yeah, it's it's cool to see that it's such a good name, you know, Gitcoin. So anyway, they announced a new round of grants for subgraphs. And then the other one I thought was interesting is, I think you pronounce it Ludum Games. I apologize to the team if I'm mispronouncing that. Um, they announced a new snark called Shell Proofs that are efficient and trust minimized, reducing data size by 10,000 uh, X. And so um, there's a couple of interesting points I thought about this. Number one, with regards to the sort of substreams and what the problem the graph solves, as Connor said, sort of indexing this Web3 data. Um, I know whenever we were in Berlin and Connor Shevley, not this amazing Connor, but since this Connor could make it, the Connor who did make it gave a presentation on developing front end for uh, Web3 projects. What's the difference between Web2 and Web3? And one of the things he mentioned was databases. You know, whenever you're doing a Web2 project, you have a Postgres or MySQL or whatever, or, you know, maybe you have a relational database or a non-relational database like NoSQL status or Mongo or whatever. But, you know, in Web3, you just have the JSON RPC, which is incredibly horrible for doing any types of, you know, um, structured data. And so you, you have these projects like the graph and the covalent, et cetera, which solve that problem. And so I thought that was kind of interesting to piece it in like that. And then the other one, they were talking about us at the graph uh, event about this new kind of snark, sort of talking about how in the beginning of the web, before there was even HTTPS, you know, there was nothing was super encrypted. Then um, for a while, encryption was even classed as like a type of arms. You maybe you know more about this than myself, Connor, but there was a time when you literally could not export cryptography and guys were printing it on shirts. Do you sort of know the details on that? Yeah, 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 sure. So this uh, goes back to my previous career in uh, some, some export control law. So um, basically, the United States has a bunch of laws about exporting munitions uh, to other countries and involving foreign nationals. So that it, it includes not only selling guns to foreigners, but also uh, giving instructions on how to build guns to foreigners and things like that for anything that's classified as a munition. And uh, I think in the 90s, they classified cryptography as, basically as a, as a munition. So it is falls under all of those amounts of export control. And all of those laws are actually still in place. And it is a bit of insanity of all these things that are totally open source and derivable math are um, technically uh, illegal to be shared with with foreigners. And so this, this goes down to a whole crazy section about laws that don't make sense, that aren't enforceable, and that are just selectively enforced to punish people randomly. But um, yeah, so it, it's, it's an interesting kind of legal thing that uh, if you do work in a more government-oriented job where you have to be a little bit more careful and by the book about some of this stuff, that, that does still come up. And didn't somebody print it on a shirt or something in order to get it across the, the border? Do you know that story? I believe one of the cryptographers. I, I do not. I have not heard yeah, that. They either printed it on a shirt or they printed it out in some way. There was some loophole where they were able to get around it by not transferring it in a digital medium or something. I'm sure if somebody Googles it, I'm positive that's the case, but I don't remember the fine details. I, I want to say somebody printed it on a T-shirt and that was the way they were able to basically get it into a different country or something. But yeah, it's, it's just an interesting thing where it's literally, you know, the mathematics exist. They're kind of just fundamental. They're out there in like the ether of the universe. 
but somehow, you know, there's laws around them. So anyway, so the, the final thought there um, was simply like, you know, cryptography was sort of a munition and classified as such, but now due to the, you know, the, the ubiquity of the web and online commerce and, G, and uh, you know, email, and then also um, national security reasons, you know, cryptography is now something that's sort of part of our life and HTTPS is sort of is pretty much ubiquitous. Um, especially after Fire Sheep, I believe, was the um, project that came out a few years ago where people could just take over everybody's browser if, or take over their web session over HTTP. And so now it's kind of like um, it's, it's, it's in vogue and it's standard that people use HTTPS. And the guys, one of the people who was announcing this new kind of snark um, was saying that they, they anticipate something like that is going to happen with ZK snarks. So today they seem very exotic and they're very cutting edge and most people don't know what they are. And even people who know what they are perhaps don't know the full picture of how it fits in and how it's going to affect everything. But they anticipate that it's going to end up being ubiquitous in the same way that HTTPS is ubiquitous. And especially with things like this, so a new kind of snark that has reduced the data size by 10,000 X. Yeah, that's that's very cool. I think the the snark worlds. I think they're going to be very important when it comes to especially like some of the layer two roll up architectures and just looking at ways to you know these are all uh, snarks are, are are zero knowledge proof. So these are ways of proving something without revealing what the thing that you're trying to prove is necessarily. So that's that's a really weird way to talk about. It. But basically, uh, when we're talking about zero knowledge proofs, we're talking about things like I want to prove to you. That I know the I know the solution to a Sudoku puzzle without showing you my solution, and there are mathematical ways to do that. Or, for example, some other uh, use cases are: I want to prove that I have a, a university degree, but I don't want to reveal what my name is or what college I went to. But I just want to be able to show you that if, if we're interacting online, I have this credential, but you don't know that, but that doesn't dox me when I show you that. Or uh, there's some other ones that say, I want to show, tell you that uh, I have at least a certain amount of money without revealing my bank account balance or something like that. And there are ways, there are ways to do this. And so uh, there, there's a lot of applications in crypto and uh, like, for example, Tornado Cash, that's another uh, uh, protocol that uses with Sherpa. It's entirely TCrypt forking into Sherpa. We we had them yep. on the show. Yeah. Yeah. So we talked about that. I believe there uh, they use a zero knowledge proof to associate uh, a a deposit with a withdrawal, uh, and you can't tell. And what you don't reveal there is which deposit is associated with with with, with which withdrawal, but you can tell that for this withdrawal there did exist a deposit uh, that corresponded to it. Yeah, <clears throat> I have um, said many times that to me, the story of the singularity is the story of the individual becoming asymmetrically empowered against the state. And that's a big thought. And just to briefly unpack that, because I know we're, we're running short on time already, is just as I perceive it, especially if you look at the big, big picture, if like we look at, you know, tens of thousands of years of the human condition, and as the pace of change accelerates, and as technology becomes more and more advanced, individuals just become asymmetrically empowered and you kind of get to the point where we are now in the story of, of, of humanity and you see things like let's presume that Satoshi is one person for a second I'm not entirely sure he or she was but let's just say for the sake of argument that Satoshi was one it was a guy right um, 
one single person was able to unleash on the world an entire financial revolution, which has really, really changed a lot. And we're still in the very beginning of it. It's going to echo for generations. I'm sure of it. It's made tons of people fortunes. It's upended industries. And then he or she, well, he, for the sake of the argument, was able to basically just disappear off the screen or off the scene. And a big part of that is, um, you know, using cryptography because he was asymmetrically empowered and sort of understanding how these tools empower one person to just make such a huge, huge impact on the world. And so um, I, I sort of, I, I, that's the kind of the way I phrase it is that the story of the singularity is the story of the individual becoming asymmetrically empowered to the state. And I think this is kind of a, a good example of that. Um, so I know we've only got five minutes. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I wanted to bring up one other story this week that I wanted to cover. Sure. Uh, which was Circle announced that they are creating a new stable coin uh, called Eurocoin, which nice. is going to be yeah, a Euro backed stable coin, fully reserved. Circle is the company behind USDC and Circle Pay, um, who they, I think, are pretty clearly the best in the business at doing a uh, fully collateralized stable coin. So uh, I'm really excited to see this. I think I'm actually really surprised that it took this long to, uh, to happen, honestly, especially because, I mean, I mean the U.S. dollar has, has dominance in, in, in international markets and stuff like that, but the rest of the world exists. <laughs> the rest of the world, you know, still might, you know, if you're a European, you live your life in euros, I, I feel like, so. Uh, and you know, there's many, obviously, many other currencies that are going to eventually get their own stablecoin one day. And I think what'll be really interesting is, I think a lot of markets have not made it onto crypto natively. Essentially, like you can't trade stocks with crypto. You kind of can with some derivative markets, but. There's no, because of legal issues with uh, securities and how those are regulated, we have not been able to incorporate, bring these legacy markets on chain in a way uh, that would be totally user empowering. But now if we actually have multiple reliable stable coins in various different foreign currencies, that actually could be the start of Forex and uh, the just the trading of foreign currencies against each other, actually moving on chain to be one of the um, you know fully integrating a legacy market in in crypto, which I think is a really cool thing. Yeah, USDC is actually my favorite stable. I don't know if you have a favorite stable, um, but it is mine. You know, I Tether has obviously been around forever, but I think everybody sort of knows the pros and cons of Tether at this point. And um, algorithmic stable coins, you know, there's bucket, bucket, basket backed stable coins and there's algorithmic stable coins and there's pros and cons to both. And then we've recently seen, you know, the downsides of stable coins. But um, to me, stable coins, are, I think there's one of the critical cornerstones, one of the critical puzzle pieces of crypto, because obviously I, I think crypto is amazing, but the volatility is something that merchants cannot really expose themselves to. You know, if you're a merchant, the margins are so thin already on, on your profit that you can't have the asset that you're dealing with go up or down 10 or 20% by the end of the day. Sure, you'd like it to go up by 20%, but if it goes down by 20%, that could be the difference between you staying in business and going out of business very quickly. And so 
services like BitPay, which allow you to accept, you know, crypto and immediately turn it into fiat in your bank account are one part of the solution. But some people want to stay in crypto. They don't want to just go from, you know, crypto to fiat in their bank account. And so stablecoins solve that problem. So, you know, there's a lot of um, detractors and boohooers about stablecoins, but I've been a big fan of stablecoins for, you know, most of the time. Um, I, I like algorithmic, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's a tough one. Um, I like algorithmic in theory, but it's a hard problem to solve. But backing them by um, a basket of assets can be gamed unless you have complete transparency, which not all of the companies do, as we've seen. All right. Well, thank you very much for, yeah. for joining me this week. We're going to have to wrap up. I got to run to a meeting, but, uh, plug yourself. Uh, how, how can pleasure. they find you? How can they find you? Oh yeah. I can't believe I forgot that. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> if you like, if you like this episode, you know, come uh, follow us on Twitter. You can follow me at DOS underscore Connor, D-A-S underscore C-O-N-N-O-R. Yep. And you can find me at C-G Cardona, C-G-C-A-R-D-O-N-A. And uh, as always, you guys rule. Thank you to everybody who's been part of the journey. We will see you guys next week, same time, same channel. So as we always say, from snowflake to avalanche and through consensus to the stars. Thank you, everybody. Cheers. <laughs>